Hey everyone, Adam here from the C-Lab podcast. I'm proud to announce that I just released a new book. It's called Customer Education, Why Smart Companies Profit by Making Customers Smarter. You can actually find it now on amazon.com in ebook or in print format. Uh, you could also do bit.ly slash customer education, made you an easy little bit.ly link. So I'd really appreciate it if you pick a copy up and let me know what you think. Thanks everyone. Welcome to C-Lab, the customer education lab, where we explore how to build customer education programs, experiment with new approaches, and exterminate the myths and bad advice like the roaches they are. Uh, I feel bad about that. I don't, I don't like killing roaches, but <laughs> sometimes, sometimes they must be exterminated. Cold. Yes, they, they must be cold, but they'll survive the apocalypse, so I don't feel too bad for them. Well, I don't know. I don't know how they do without internet. We'll see. I, I apologize to any bug rights activists <laughs> listening. <laughs> hey, Dave, what, uh, what, what national month is it? Well, um, surprisingly, it is uh, National Mushroom Month. What do you national think about that? Mushroom Month. I, Sounds amazing. You know, I went through most of my childhood... And into my into my adult life, not liking mushrooms, and mm-hmm. at a certain point, uh, a switch flipped, and I, I turned around, and now I actually love them. Yeah, you ever not like mushrooms? I feel like I've liked mushrooms for quite a while, uh, but you know, some people don't like them at all. So yeah, well, it's like like eating fungus feels feels odd. You kind of have to like turn off that part of your brain that. <laughs> Is, is actively thinking about what you're consuming. Well, we do that at McDonald's or any other place these days. So I think it's getting That's easier. True. That's true. <laughs> I, yes. I, I've eaten things that are objectively way grosser than a fungus and not thoughtful <laughs> about it. <laughs> that's a good, that's a good, you know, I did eat, um, this is a positive mushroom story. I had, I had mushroom ice cream recently. Uh, I hear there's mushroom tea too. There's mushroom tea. Yeah. Does it have? I mean, isn't, isn't kombucha kind of made from fermented mushrooms? I I don't know. So our audience will have to. I I, I stay away from that. <laughs> okay, if you're, if you're a kombucha drinker in our audience, please let us know what it is made of. Oh my gosh! Well, <laughs> hit us up on deba- social. <laughs> while we're debating that, um, so Adam, I think today what we want to do is pull out a really good question from our mailbag. So, what do we have? What do we want to talk about today? Well, in the last episode, we were getting into some common questions about maintaining content for SaaS products. And it's actually one of the most common questions we hear. And I really love this question from the mailbag. This is from Charlie, uh, because it gets at a very different, but but equally common question about maintaining content or or what to do with content in uh, a SaaS product. So let's read the question. Dave, would you like to read it? I will. Okay. Charlie writes, I have been tasked with creating a customer education program at our software company. I am devouring your book and your podcast episodes. I'm trying to create a strategy for implementation based on your guidelines. But the sticking point that I always get stuck on is that our software is configured for each customer. We have many functions that are fairly standard, but implementation looks and acts a bit different. 
Now, I know I can create educational material for more advanced topics that our customers would consume without any customization, but our basic user training is the main thing that we're trying to standardize, and I'm struggling to determine the best way forward. Thanks for your brains. Sounds right. like something a zombie would say. <laughs> Thanks for your brains. A very polite um, zombie. A pol- yeah, but... a polite zombie. Thank, thank you in advance for consideration of your brain. No, thank you, Charlie. This, this is a really, really good question. Um, and I think a, a very common one, too, especially for products where, as you called out, there is, they're, they're not completely off the shelf. So yeah. if I can kind of summarize what I understood from that question, it's, you know, we talk a lot about doing scalable customer education, and we talk a lot about producing the types of materials that will really serve these large swaths of customers. But inherent in that is the idea that you're not really able to change that training at scale to reflect all the different permutations of a highly configurable product. So how do you approach that from a content strategy perspective? Is that what you take away from that, Dave? Yeah. I mean, scale does require a certain sense of generalization, right? You've got to be able to hit your 80%. And, you know, if, if I were to turn this into a hypothesis, I would, I would say, okay, how, how do we put this into terms of a hypothesis? You know, we we are able to create um, content at scale that meets the needs of most customers, like 80% of all of our customers without unique customization. Yes or no? Okay. Let's see. Let's find out. Cool. So, all right. yeah, let's, let's dive into it. I, I think, you know, Charlie's right. We don't talk about this that often. We, we talk a lot about scale and we don't talk a lot about customization. And, and I was thinking about this, like in my book, mm. I didn't really talk about it that much, but I've definitely been in this scenario in my life. For, so for example, I once worked for a company who wasn't actually a SaaS product. This, this is all on-prem, but the product was a, a custom configurable checking or savings account for a community bank or a credit union. So these are all were very local, generally small banks, credit unions operating in their market. So they all had the same product suite. Okay. Right. The core functionality was the same, but the functionality or, or the exact details and product specifications were completely different for each client. They could turn on and off little details. Um, so I, I feel this. I feel this one hard. I've been in this situation. Have you been in this one, Dave? Yeah, actually. And I think this was really prescient to me because let me take a page out of my, my training workbook. Um, one of the things that outrage that we, we do a lot is talk about customization of our actual, you know, bespoke training courses. I'm going to come to your company. We're going to give you this class. And one of the interesting reveals out of doing this for a long time, you know, years is that, you know what? Okay, the trainers themselves say 80% of all our classes are generic anyway, right? It's, yeah. We, we, yeah, we we aspire to customize. I think this is a pipe dream in a lot of cases. It's an aspiration. Let me put it this way. It would be ideal to make a customized, unique experience for each and every single person that takes your course. But is that- Because everyone is a beautiful, unique snowflake, as we all know. Yeah, but then that's- is that reasonable? Is that realistic? Because we're building content at scale. We're moving, like we had talked about in the last episode, really fast. Things are changing all the time. Can you also adapt to that that pace 
and then go to the next mile to make that customize. So it's yeah, it's it's a really interesting question too because I think where your company falls on a certain spectrum is going to inform this. And and I, I well maybe there's there's a couple of spectra that we can talk about here. All right. One one spectrum one is the product led growth to sales led uh, company. So if you are a true product led growth, you don't really have a go to market function in the traditional mm-hmm. sense. Uh, customers are coming and growing organically. They're putting in their credit cards. Uh, they're telling their friends. There's a little bit of land, but a lot of expand. Well, that's going to look very different from uh, a product that has a months or even years long sales cycle. You're doing all this work upfront to tailor what the product is going to do to meet a certain need. And so training or enablement for that product is inherently going to have to look different, especially if you're talking about what happens after the customer has made a purchase, because the purchase itself looked so, so, so different. (laughs) Right? Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's one. I think spectrum number two would be, and, and this is definitely related, is like, how far you are towards kind of being a consumer product versus a B2B product. Mm -hmm. Because again, there you have an element of if you're a B2C product, typically if you're going directly to a consumer, you're not necessarily going to be customizing the product that much from consumer to consumer. That's right. it's, It's all about volume. Whereas the more on the B2B end you are typically not always you're, you're really going to be thinking not just about how do I educate individual users on how to use this product with its default functionality and some different use cases? You're, you're at that point also thinking about how are all those users then working together within an account and how do we make that account successful? Yeah. And it, it, you know, as I, as I think about the words you're saying and how this all expresses itself, it's, it's really challenging because you, you, you really want to be able to say, I, I, let's talk about that high end, that extreme end. I'm yeah. working with an enterprise customer. That customer, ha- we have we spent a month configuring their product. Mm-hmm. It, it's white labeled. It looks different. The layout and design is different, right? Their use cases are different. Workflows are different. Same product. We have the same product. It just looks different from the next customer that, as an enterprise customer, that we've done this custom configuration on, and. I guess what I'm saying here is that that maybe this is a, a where we take this conversation is we start talking about how we stratify or speciate the kinds of training we do, because I, let me the the point did I want to make speciate I did what does speciate <laughs> mean I love that word <laughs> to make different species to it's kind of like categories right oh you're breaking gonna, up that's amazing I think it's a it's a, it's an elegant word I like it I like it. you always you always have good words you have the best words oh, oh come on you have great words yourself I've seen some you know, whomst that's, <laughs> I had to look that up. I didn't, like, I didn't come up with that one. You didn't come up with it. It was a, it was a really good ad. It was fun. Okay. Um, so we're going to stratify and speciate. Let's, let's keep going. Right. Okay. So my point, the point I'm trying to make Adam is that there's a, there's a time and a place for customization. That time and a place for customization I feel falls in and, and I, I don't want to get us too far off base and talk fee to fee and free, you know, pricing models. No, but, but this is very this is very related. So please keep going yeah, with that. Yeah, the, the, but but my point is, I feel so much striving for customization when my trigger, when like okay, let, let's role play. You're you're an enablement 
person, a VP of enablement at a, a large enterprise company, you're an exec, right? Okay. You come to me and say, Dave, look, I've got a thousand seats, right? Mm -hmm. Of your product. You need to do training for me and you need to do it like this. I want it in my app. I want my people leading it. I would like, okay, that's a really big custom style engagement, mm -hmm. right? It to take the generic template and go on site, like let's pretend COVID's not happening. Go on site. I'm there in front of everybody. I'm 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 doing that's gonna take me a lot of prep. Me as a trainer in that motif, yeah. then I would sit down and think about what's unique about you? Who are the key players? Who are my administrators? Who are the people that set this up internally? Who are my consultants internally at my company? Who do I need to bring? It's an it's an experience, it's an event. It's yeah, well, and it requires a, a learning strategy. It requires buy-in from stakeholders. It requires yeah. you to create different experiences. And well, and even like, let's say, uh, you know, me in this role play. Let's say um, we use a certain methodology that the product is going to fit into, right? Like, yeah. like you, like you, if you have like a you know a digital whiteboard product, and and I use this certain design thinking model that's, that's based on, you know, some expert in the field. Well, I want to know how your product is specifically going to let me do my design thinking methodology, not just like some random one that your company came up with, you know? Yeah. So I, I agree. And I, I think this idea actually is very tied to the fee to free spectrum and, and we'll, we'll come back too. and talk about it. But I, this, this is a point worth drilling in on because I think sometimes people treat the idea of having custom training services or paid training services as just abstractly a thing mm -hmm. that companies do when they grow up. And I don't think that's actually true. There's, there's a very good reason why hmm. customer, why companies start doing uh, training services at a certain size and scale. When you're working with enterprise customers who are going to start doing more custom configuration of your product. Well, with that comes an expectation that the enablement that you're doing is also going to be customized to that, that company's use cases, to the different roles that they have, to the methodologies they may use, because that's all in the name of making a company of that size successful. And to yeah. do that, you're going to have to spend enough time working with them and getting to know what their needs are and developing and customizing content to meet their needs that um, you, you don't typically want to be doing all of that purely on investment. Like you need to recover your costs. So I think, right. I think this is right. all, this is intimately tied together. Oh. It doesn't just happen in a vacuum. Yeah. But I, I have to add one point to that, Adam, that in my experiences, right? Because we, in this podcast, we talk as practitioners about reality, like not hypothetical or theoretical when we get to that. But one of the things that I've seen is that people jump over that chasm right away because we want to think what's best for the customer and what's best for the customer giving them the red carpet. And I've been to places where we've done that. We've gone that red carpet extra mile, but the payoff is not there. Yeah. It's, it's, it's because then imagine I have three trainers and those trainers, one of those trainers goes out in the field for two weeks, three weeks, a month. In one case it was two. They're unavailable for everything else. So that FTE now has to have, I have to comp for that F FTE's time for the entire time. And now I have to think about what am I missing? So, you know what, one third of all of my training resources is now dedicated to a single customer. Well, that's, that's, yeah, that's the consequence of if you are going to be making big bets like that, um, but you don't have a plan in place to actually 
staff to keep up with it. Um, and if you're not, if you don't have a revenue component and you can't model your cost or your growth against that, then yes, you're essentially going to be tying up resources. But you know what? I don't even, I don't even think that is the biggest issue. I think the biggest All issue, right. if you're jumping the gun on rolling out the red carpet for customers is that, um, that's not, that's not always the best thing for the customer period. Like let's, let's say, and this is very common that you as the vendor want to roll out the red, cus- uh, red, red carpet for your customer. And you're going to do all the stuff that's bespoke and you're going to spend all this time, um, you know, delivering white glove service and quote unquote, like being on site with them, which we know is a little bit different in our, our COVID reality. A lot of the time though, what you're going to find is the customer is not ready for that, or that's not actually how they want things to be delivered. And they're going to come back and challenge you. Hey, you know what, what you're proposing to us right now is not scalable at our size. We actually need something that can be delivered at scale. We need something that can be put into our LMS. We need something that's going to be, uh, you know, trackable at, at that level, or we don't have like, we're a, we're a big, slow enterprise, slow moving company. We can't just free up a project manager on our side to make sure that that enablement is successful on a moment's notice. So I would argue if you are jumping the gun, um, and especially if you're doing it for free and you're not, you know, kind of, uh, you know, having skin in the game on the customer side and making sure they have a reason to prioritize this and the resources that they would need to free up on their side, then like you're not actually doing the best thing for the customer. You're kind of setting both of yourselves up for failure. I love that point. I, I and I'll reiterate, reiterate that because Okay, I'll, I'll use it, uh, uh, my Mon Calamari, it's a trap mo- moment because I think this custom, this this push towards customization too early is a trap that's going to suck down your resources to the point you're not going to be able to do what you need to do. Yes. Right? You're going to be focusing on delivering, not scale. You're going to be focused on delivering customizations. So again, my framework for this, uh, framework for understanding is always, okay, well, anytime I'm being asked for customization, I'm asked what the dollars are, right? And and this is hard because like you said something in there about this experience that many of us education, customer education people have experienced. I'm a customer, we're going up market. The customers we're, t- we're finding up market are used to working with vendors who give them white labeled content that they can put in their system. We're not there yet, right? So customer, anybody asking me for my content early on is going to get a no. And that's because, or a no, but, and the no, but is I would be more than willing to, you know, source a um, get a resource put on that. It's going to cost X thousand dollars because this is going to comp their time and scope it out as a a scope of work. Right. And you're either like customizing or it's like you're licensing content. There's there's a lot of different ways to, to play that, but you also, at that point, you're essentially creating a different, if you're not doing it completely custom as a service, you're creating a different product. Yeah. Um, if you're licensing out your content. So, you know, it, it ultimately it's, you can do all any, anything as an experiment, but you have to do it intentionally and you have to think about what happens if the experiment is successful and now you're going to maintain it over time. So yeah. I, I do. Yeah. And I do think that sometimes what we're doing is we're conflating the role of the customer education team with the role of the CSM, which really is oh. in a lot of cases to be thinking strategically and partnering with the account and figuring out where to fill in, either some of those gaps or, or move more quickly towards some of those opportunities versus doing things that are as scalable that will support the broader customer base. And we can argue about that. Like some people think that is exactly the role of the customer education team as well. And certainly in some businesses it is, 
Mm-hmm. But I want to I want to put a pin in this. But let's remember let's remember fee to free, and let's remember the CSM yeah. because I think both of these yeah. are going to come back into play. Okay, cool. Yeah, but neither, neither of these really answers the the question immediately. So I, that's why I kind of want to take a step back and, and and start by answering like when we think about customization, and when we think about what should be quote unquote generic versus what should be quote unquote customized. Uh-huh. Um, I always start by asking, like, what's the core? of what your customer needs to do to get value from the product. Like, let's actually talk about actions. Let's talk about <laughs> job task features. analysis. Ta- exactly. Let's talk about job task analysis. Let's talk about jobs to be done. Um, and especially if it's a configurable product, how many roles or personas are involved? What, what would each of them need to do in an ideal world to get your account to value? I love this because this really maps to some consulting work that I did prior to becoming a customer education person. And it, it, you, you use different words, the job task analysis, the you know mapping exercise to figuring out what use cases are. This is really important. And it doesn't take that long. If you sit down and go, all right, let's get a whiteboard. Let's get key players in the room. Let's talk about this. What's like, I, I could do it for outreach. Outreach, who are my main personas? I have an administrator. They set up and configure and define how the system's going to work. I have um, a closer or a prospector. A prospector is a sales development rep a business development rep, someone that's doing, mm-hmm. uh, they're, they're trying to get a meeting with an, with a salesperson. Then you have that salesperson who's a pro, uh, closer, right? They're closing the deal. And then I have a manager and a manager is helping a team of those closers or prospectors to interrelate and work with, use the product and adopt the product and make it, make them smile, you know, make a great day. Yeah. So there's all these different personas, but there's different stories telling that goes on with each of them. Right. And, and, and depends on whether your product is vertical or horizontal, so to speak. Like if, if you like yeah. Optimizely was a vertical product for the most part, we were working primarily with marketing and product teams. So we knew the roles Yeah, we knew, and we knew specifically what those flavors of the roles looked like most typically on those teams. We could tell them something about their jobs um, and use that to thread into our, our educational programs and into our personas. Whereas there are products mm. that are very horizontal Um you know, you could consider like Slack, I think is a horizontal product. All lines of business use Slack across the organization. Right. Everyone has different use cases for it. Um, and there you might have personas that are related to specific lines of business who use Slack in specific ways, but you also in some cases are going to need to also back up a level to say, okay, we've got end users, we've got admins, we've got developers, and we've got more generalized personas in relation to our product, just because so many different types of people can be using the product in, in so many different ways. Yeah. Yeah. But either way, what you're doing when you, when you're starting to think about jobs to be done or personas is you're backing out of that question of content customization, which I think is important to do. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause you're not thinking you, if you start thinking about the content, you're going to start pigeonholing yourself immediately. <laughs> I like to back away from that. Actually think about the actions that people are going to be doing and the decisions they're going to be making at each point. And, right. and this actually already has a great framework in the learning world, and it's called Action Mapping. It's by Kathy Moore. If you haven't read the book Map It by Kathy Moore, and you're an instructional designer working in customer education, go get that book right now. Um, it's going gonna, it's gonna to open your eyes to really thinking about developing and designing training from a performance-based uh, point of view. That's amazing. I think it's amazing. Yeah, that's amazing. Th- these are little gifts that, like these kind of books that we're finding, you know, you're, I've got my stack of them on my wall over here. 
but that, that we're going to have to have a book club. We got to work through all these. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Uh, it, and it, it looks long, but it's not actually long. It's got a lot of images and visuals and, and is kind of oriented towards, I, th- I think more towards someone who is performing a learning consulting role um, and will eventually go and actually design and develop content. But it's really focused on what you do during um, the early phases of the project to start mapping out what actual activities would need to be designed to really verify the core of what people are doing in their jobs. So it's not like, let's take all this content and sequence it out. It's like, what key decisions are people making with your product? What um, key skills are they actually going to be, be excuse me, be performing? And then what if that actually requires training to be developed against it? Because if it's like you're teaching someone something and really the, the reason they're not doing it is environmental, like, they're not doing it just because the, the the toggle isn't surfaced properly in the UI. Well, then the solution isn't develop training. The solution is go talk to your product team and surface the toggle. Actually put it in, in the person's flow of work. So I appreciate that she thinks about it from that perspective. She's not necessarily talking about SaaS products. She's talking about that she uses all sorts of training scenarios. Um, but I think we can think about that way too. And I think that might actually help us get to the heart of the customization question. Because now we're not necessarily thinking as much about... Um, what's generic versus what's customized and oh my gosh because the client configures all this stuff we can't create any generic content it, it makes you think more about okay of those jobs to be done that we said that the customer has of the actions we actually expect them to perform to be successful how much of it actually changes based on your software configuration yeah hmm yeah so it's, it's kind of question. an interesting question. And, and I can't answer that, right, for, yeah, no, for, for Charlie without knowing more about the product. But there's usually a range. So, so maybe we can talk about like the, the range of where, where we typically see these things fall. Yeah. Let, can I put you on pause for just a minute? I need to, to respond yeah. to somebody. Yeah. So Dave, yeah, let's, let's talk about some of those common scenarios. What yeah. would you say? Like, what, what's the range of configuration? Okay. Well, let's, let's go with the obvious. Like one end, which configuration is really minor. I tweak this, I change some labels, you know, um, in this case, you mentioned that, you know, or the, what was mentioned in the email here is, you know, we have many functions that are fairly standard, but every implementation looks and acts a bit different. So sometimes that's said in this case, it said it means that 80% of the decisions the customer is making could be taught in a scalable way. And you have to ask yourself about that other 20%. Yeah. Um, it- is it is it meaningful or is it trivial? Well, it could be meaningful. It could be trivial, but that's a it's a depends, right? It's, yeah. Well, it comes back to that action mapping idea. Like if you if you look at that twenty percent of stuff that actually gets customized, and it truly is like an 20 percent. Not all products are 20 percent like that. But let's say it's twenty percent and it's relatively trivial. If it looks and acts a bit different, then the question that you want to ask is what is the consequence to the customer of that twenty percent being different? If it's yeah, minor. You might yeah, not even need to cover it, right? Well, or you could do like some, one of the great um, playbook tasks is a job aid. Yeah, you right? can do it as a job. Yeah, that's Here's the content. Here's the video. Watch the video. You know what? It's a little bit different for you. I'm giving you a job aid that shows you the differences. Well, and in fact, and, and that's that's actually what, what probably for me comes one step further on the spectrum where there's kind of a mix in that 20%. There's some things yeah. that are pretty consequential and some other things that are trivial. And I, I see this one more commonly than where like the 20% is completely inconsequential from a 
from an education perspective. Yeah. So like for, for, for the crucial pieces that would really change the decisions that customers are making or would affect the way they interact with that product. Um, are, are there typical configurations or are there like common flavors of how things get configured? So your curriculum could support yeah. that. And, and Dave, I think you were starting to get into this. So like, what are some of the ways you could approach that from a curriculum perspective? Yeah, well, I'll go back to the first one I said, which was like a job aid. Job aids are easy. It's uh, like, like think I think about those more for the higher ARR customers, which we support. The ones with, you know, they're, they're, they're substantially investing in our company and our software. In those cases, it's like, okay, well, I could have my CSM or my professional services consultant or even a trainer who might be giving them training a little bit of extra stuff. Maybe I do it. Um, um, you know, here's something that we do at Outreach that I think is really powerful. Um, I don't praise our trainers enough, but our training consultants, we've actually called them consultants, do a really good job like giving kind of a standard stock training, but then tweaking it right? Or giving extra context. And then we always shuttle people back into our university for the longer form, more genericized content. So, I mean, there's, there's ways to do it. I mean, you could even do a small, like say we're at a larger company. Okay. Hey team, we want you to go through our on-demand content to this point, take this learning pathway or learning track that's in our university. Mm -hmm. Then we're going to do an office hours or, you know, you have these interventions which are not quite the same as a traditional training where you're kitchen sinking everything. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And that's actually, the, so the job aid approach that you were talking about a moment ago, mm -hmm. that's actually what we did when I worked at the, uh, the banking technology company, yeah. we had e-learning that covered, you know, 80% of how the products worked and what the common functionality was and what the common value props were and how to talk about it. But then, um, you know, we knew that there would be some common, some common things that would be configured, like the interest rate we knew would change. Um, there were common settings that people would toggle on and off. And so we'd say in the e-learning, uh, you know, if you're working with one of our training consultants, they will develop a, uh, a job aid for you that has the specifics. So it was always like refer to the specifics in your, in your job aid, job aid right. or what I don't remember what we called it, your one sheet or your quick reference guide. Um, and, and that, and that is much more scalable where you're giving people the details that they need to reference on a day-to-day -day basis, but you're using the e-learning to cover more of the concepts. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, going back to all this stuff, I would say it's probably at least 80% of the time in most cases you get down to the configuration rabbit hole. There's pretty standard stuff out there. And it really is just an introspective task to sit down and go, hey, do I really need to customize? Is it really that important? Yeah. And then like or you're saying, if it is, uh, maybe that gets baked out when you're onboarding, right? And, and you work on that delta. Um, but you've got to really shift a lot of your training and your educational material over to an on-demand in order for it to scale appropriately. I, I agree. And so, so there you kind of have a relationship where for a, for a high touch account for whether it's a CSM or a training consultant or someone, there's going to be someone interacting directly with the, the, the customer and probably some information that you will still customize. You want to find the information that is most critical to customize and use your human effort to focus on that. Yeah. Um, yes. And, and then like, there's also the point about sometimes there's different flavors of customization. So the product's going to be configured. Um, and you know that it's typically going to be configured in these ways. So even though each configuration is quote unquote custom, there might be some common scenarios that you see. And there you can almost treat it like, like support deflection, where mm, if you know that yeah. there are certain configurations that are going to happen 
a certain amount of the time and they're, they're going to be like the plurality of configurations. Well, you could create a supplemental module that specifically talks about that. Yeah, I've got a great example. Okay. Let me share it. I'm ready. Um, okay. So to outreach, one of the fundamental concepts that we have is the concept of a sequence. And, and I really like this. I think this is a really good way to build software. What, what we've done is kind of humanized or standardized a methodology for someone who's in a sales capacity to contact uh, a prospect, right? Because like, think about it. Me as a prospect, if you're reaching out to me, I want to know why you're calling. I want to know who you are, what you're selling. It, it, you have to have a certain authority built up in that. So what this does, this process is actually, it's different every time, every single time. And it could get wildly different. But what we do is start to work on our training in terms of the best practices, the the general approaches to building those very customized sequences. So for example, you know, a sequence should always start off with some email and then a call, and then there should be a certain amount of time between each one of those. And then there should always be points like, what do you do when somebody actually does pick up the phone or they do respond to your email? All of these are standard. They're, they make, they make sense, but they're different in every use case. So what we do is we generalize that training. We talk about, okay, here's the concept of the sequence. These are the different kinds of sequences that you could generate. Here are the different actions and activities that you could take within Mm it. Um, And then that takes that, you know, we kind of get, got, I'm kind of thinking about that, that white space problem we have in software, you know, where the first time you look at something and there's nothing there in your application, the you have to config, yeah, the blank space, um, blank state. Um, that's kind of where you're at. And when you, when you, there's a place of power there where if I can explain to you, Adam, okay, this is the concept and then show you a couple examples. You go off to the races and you can make whatever it is, and you can abstract that understanding. And this is that higher order kind of adult learning that we're really talking about. I got to teach you to fish. Yeah. Although um, that, that does, that, that kind of implies in a way that the configuration is being done by an individual user looking at the blank state of a the software yeah. product and, and the product is teaching them the art of the possible. Mm-hmm. Whereas, mm-hmm. you know, if I think Good. about, if I think about Charlie's question, what I'm, what I'm taking from it is less that that's what's happening and more that, Hey, you've got an account the account's going to go through an implementation phase. Maybe that implementation phase is going to take several weeks, several months, and the product is going to get customized to fit the needs of that org. Um, so you're kind of doing it at the account level. And that means the product is probably not doing the art of the possible. It's the account exec or the um, CSM or an implementation consultant or someone like right. that who's doing right. the majority of the process design and then the configuration and perhaps even technical uh, account manager doing technical configuration. And by that point, it's going to feel like you've already designed so much customized process for, for the customer that like, oh, how am I ever going to unwind this and genericize this? Or what can I even <laughs> tell them that's going to be useful? But but that's where I think like you can you can use the scalable content to do what the scalable content is going to do best, teach more of the concepts, help offshore things from the humans who are going to be working on the the specific processes and then use the humans for what they're best for, which is really helping connect the dots between the more generic yeah. content and the specifics. But I would argue again, that if there are very common, if there's like a critical mass of common implementation scenarios, your e-learning can do that too. You can have specific modules dedicated towards some of those most common scenarios, or you could even go down the path of developing something like a branching scenario or a, a simulator or a configuration simulator, something like that, where 
you and the customer can actually go in and this can be e-learning. You could do something like this and articulate uh, a storyline, yeah. something like yeah. that if you wanted. Scoring. Where uh, even you could even do something custom based based on your own software in a, in a sandbox environment. The, the possibilities are endless. You just need to resource for it. This is more resource intensive. But let's say you can enter enter some sample configurations. And then in this e-learning, you're getting feedback um, or seeing the results in a simulated environment. And the, the e-learning can actually be sharing some implications with you. Like, hey, you would do this setting if you want to achieve this outcome. Or here's what you would want to know about this setting before you decide to do it. And there, you can use the e-learning to actually educate the customer a little bit more on the impact of those decisions so that once they're talking to your actual implementation person, the customer is now more educated to make that decision. And so the implementation consultant is spending less time saying, here's what box A does, here's what checkbox B does, here's what C does, and more like, oh, now you know the implications. Let's talk strategically about what's most important for you here. Yeah. You know, it, what comes to mind as you're talking about all this is the art of change management. Yeah. Right. And, because, and process design. And processes. And there, there are a couple of things that I think we in SaaS early on have a, that's really struggle with, even later on. I know it's, it's, it, it's that, that part of helping teach someone the, the nuances to everything that they're going to learn downstream. Right. It's like, why yeah. this is important. What, well, and this is, this is actually kind of funny. I don't want to distract us from this discussion, but I, I just want to dwell on it a moment that this is the kind of education that happens kind of outside education where typically you have like, um, solutions consultant, engineer, um, an implementation specialist, uh, we call them project, um, um, professional services consultants, the CSM, someone who's engaging deeply with, with a customer to like really figure out these problems. And then they're kind of teaching all along as we're doing that. But yeah. you know, one of the things like on the other, the flip side, th this is another, and I, I'm sorry if I'm using examples, but I think they have some good examples of things that we fought through and struggled with. There is an, a, a program called Express Start that our professional services team partnered with us to deploy. And so it was a professional services slash education collaboration. They did most of the work. You know, we, we strung it up and did put the polish on it and delivered it. But what I loved about it is they abstracted all of the really sophisticated configuration process, the decision making, the things individuals as an admin role needs to do bucket them into on-demand modules with some activities around them and then paired those with meetings with that implementation person. Yeah. And the amount of scale and lift we got off of that still being a hundred percent custom for the times that they talk, because that's when you go, okay, I did my work. I did these, I made these sequences. I created these templates. I did this kind of stuff. I have these questions. Right. There's a big difference to your point, yeah. Dave, between saying our product is configurable, therefore we can't have generic content or it's going to be meaningless and we just won't do it. And so humans are going to do all of it versus saying our product is configurable. And so we are going to have a blended solution where our smart humans <laughs> essentially curate the path for, uh -huh. for customers um, explain what, what the onboarding path is going to look like, essentially assign out the homework, have customers go through that, come back prepared to actually make decisions. And there the framing becomes really obvious. It's like, I, as the person who has limited time with you, because your time is valuable as well as mine, I want to make sure that we can spend it doing the most strategic customization possible. 
So I'm going to ask you to engage with, you know, these offerings in the academy. I'll put together mm-hmm. a one shooter for you that that explains like the path that we've developed together. There's there's power in doing that. I was thinking the same thing. It's yeah. really powerful that the, the to me it's w- w- I love the word constellate, right? To build a constellation of really big things and piece that together. And then like what the 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 way I think about myself Adam is that I come into an organization and I like to be in earlier phase organizations that are struggling with all of these questions questions and then start to help facilitate and curate the direction we're going in that constellation of all the educational assets. We don't necessarily make all of them in customer education. Enablement might support might documentation might product might. No, that's so literally why yeah. I started saying we are all educators. At we a are all edu- Every, I, everyone I does it in their own way. Everyone has a different articulation of the way that they help customers find value. If you as yeah. the customer education team are the only team doing that, then you're probably not a customer centric company. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And actually that's a litmus test for me when I, when I talk to companies, like, are you really truly doing customer education? Yeah. Yeah. I agree. If you, if you put on this, cause I've had that load on me before and it's, it's insurmountable. It's like, if you find yourself in a place where nobody's talking to you, you can't get SME time, you know, like all these different things are happening. It's, it's, it's very depressing and you're not doing customer education. I I think you should bring that back up. That's a really good topic for a future podcast. Adam is like, we are all educators. I can't underscore that enough if we're all thinking about it, but we're all educators of at scale. Like how do we crowdsource all that energy and put it into a way that we scale this training, even when like, and that's the meat of what we're talking about with Charlie's question. How do we invoke scale despite custom? Yeah. Yeah. Now all that said, yeah. Like we talked about at the beginning, and this will kind of bring us back to the discussion that we put a pin in for a moment. All of this is assuming that the goal really is to standardize the training. Mm-hmm. Cause Charlie mentioned the goal was to standardize the basic training. Yeah. So there, you know, we're making a big assumption right now that there is that 80, 20 rule at work. And that's how, that's how the product works. There are some products out there. Um, I think open source products are often a great example of this, where really the goal is just to completely customize the heck out of them where it really isn't 80% standard, 20% customized. It could be 80% customized, 20% standard, or, or some other ratio entirely. So if, if the product is truly extremely configurable and there aren't these um, really common recipes for them, and everyone's implementation is truly different in a consequential way, meaning that like the fundamental way they get to value with your product cannot be summarized <laughs> Uh, in in any sort of like standard or generic way, well, then you do actually have to think about this very differently. And this is where we start thinking about education services. Because ah. this is how, like, you know you're in this category if the differences are large enough, they're consequential enough, where you couldn't actually teach any standard or common version of your product and have it lead to successful product adoption. Now, you got to be critical about whether you're actually in that boat or whether, you know, Someone is just screaming loudly that they think you're in that boat, but like these do exist. These products do exist. Uh, I've worked at two of them. Actually, yeah. I kind of like working, but like, like, let me share a little bit about like exactly one of those use case, one of those stories where, okay, I'm talking about Azuqua. Azuqua was a case where I walked in and I'm like, I'm really passionate about this product. I really dig this product. But when you, when you looked at it, the face value, you had that blank canvas. Mm-hmm. It's 
well, what do I build? Where do I start? I have no idea. I literally, literally looked at the the program. You have no idea. It's like working with Legos. You get a huge old pile of Legos in a, you know, a big kit and you got to make a spaceship. Okay. <laughs> like I, I there, there's a lot in there to unpack and figure out. And in that case, it, we figured it out, but it wasn't it, the kind of a program that you would build was not the kind of program that you would have expected because it was more, I'm going to teach you fundamentals. I'm going to teach you certain things, but then I'm going to leave it up to an implementation team to take you all the way. And at that point you should understand like, but at that point you're going back to your core idea. I focused on the core, the concepts, the interface and assembled it kind of as a flow and like you get to a certain point and I understand how to loop and I get to an understand, I need to understand how to, to, to look through a JSON file and all these other things. But it was a very different kind of educational. I mean, we ended up doing it pretty much all on demand too, which I thought was pretty cool. So it was just one example. Yeah. But, but I think even, you know, even beyond that, there, there are products out there where you probably, you might not even be able to do it that way. It's, it's so, yeah, so much of a blank true. canvas where ultimately the customer is not going to get value from your product unless they either teach themselves what to do with their configuration or they're, they're going to need to have it taught for them. And, and that's where education services to me are, are not just helpful, but necessary. So like if you're truly in this camp, and I do think you need to truly vet after you've done your user journeys, after you've done your jobs to be done, that you were truly in this camp, um, that perhaps the goal is not actually to standardize your training. And, and you might need to argue at that point mm. that your company needs to build training services to be able to do the needs analysis with your customer, to follow along with the implementation and, and be a member of that implementation team, and then create these custom bespoke learning plans and assets that are custom every time, even if there are some like templates and reusable assets and like your product UI and things like that. Sure. There, there might be elements of that that can reuse, but, but this assumes that the core of what you're doing is, is that it's custom every time. And going back to our, our, our idea from earlier, if you're doing that every time, then you are expending a lot of resources to do mm -hmm. that for every customer. And so the customer probably needs to pay for it. Because otherwise, you're not going to be able to do that at any level of scale or any level of replica uh, replication. Yeah. So at that point, it's usually going to be a revenue generating services. Yeah, which yeah ends up looking good in the bottom line. And I, but the the caveat to that is always, if that's the way it is, you have to really think about resourcing seriously, because it may not be something that you can effectively scale. Right. You need a staffing model against that. And if you, yeah. you need to say, hey, you know, we're going to have X many customers who are going to need this designed for them and they, they can't do this themselves. And we truly need to create custom training every time. And we have very limited ability to do anything super scalable or replicable because everyone is going to be so different. Well, then here's how we're going to staff. Um, here's the team yeah. we need to build. Here's how we're going to model out our margin and our uh, utilization and here's the revenue we think we need to build in, even if we're just doing this to recover costs, even if we don't actually care about revenue, if I want to be able to hire to keep pace with the customers that we bring on, this is how we need to model that out. And and now all of a sudden you're talking about education services. So you, you really need to, if you're going to do that before your, your company is at the scale where you have these gigantic enterprise customers that are going to need this kind of stuff anyway, whether you're doing it yourself or whether they're hiring a, a partner to do it, um, that needs to be a discussion. 
about how you're going to stand up education services and whether that's truly necessary as the way that you're doing customer education. Yeah. So I think it's really interesting to talk about this because I, I do think there's often a scramble to do something like this, but I don't know if the reflection is always there on, should you do that? Right. right. I know I've personally been caught in an organization that got caught in that training trap. Right. Yeah. And they did all this custom work and it, 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 but before they could set expectations with any customer, they were given up the farm. Dave, I think right. you need to, you need to come up with like the, uh, the Admiral Akbar index. <laughs> it's a trap. When is it, well, when is it a trap? When is it a trap? It's yeah, that's, that's a, that's a good one. That's a good. Point. Yeah. But, you know, okay, but going back to the question, just to kind of cap things off here, it sounds like the intention here is to standardize the training as much as possible. And so I think ultimately what you need to figure out here is which of those above scenarios is your product most like? Is it 80-20 where the 20 is trivial? Mm -hmm. Is it 80-20 where the 20 is a mix and you need to supplement? Or is it like a 20-80? And maybe it's not any of those. Maybe it's something a little bit different, but... Based on that, then you can you can even determine which one you're closest to by doing a map, mapping activity where you walk through a few sample implement, implementations, you look at what was configured, why it was configured that way, and you can start asking questions with your implementation teams. You can say, what customizations did we make? Why did the customer need those customizations? What did it help them accomplish? And then you can ask, which customizations do we most commonly do um, versus which ones are edge cases? Can we design around that? Mm-hmm. And then you can ask, what would have happened to this customer if we didn't train them on the customization? What would have happened if we gave them something more generic? Uh, yeah. Or what would have happened if we left them to their own devices about creating training based on their custom configuration? Like actually mapping those out and answering some of those unco- un- uncomfortable questions might lead you to the solution and have more buy-in around the solution if you're doing this with the other teams that are involved, you know? Yeah, yeah. And, and I guess it, if you were to go further about you're going deeper on this, you would also say it's worth noting that not all training needs to actually happen within a course. Right? Say more. This, this well, feels very action mapping to me. Like not everything needs to be a, a, a training. Go back to we're all trainers, right? Like, I think one thing I always struggle with uh, in even 70 plus years in doing customer education, it's, I feel like I have to do everything. Sometimes I feel like that that's, you know, the point, but it's not We're customer education is a little bit of a different beast because we're a fabric. Um, well, let's get to the detail. So if we're talking about not all training needs to happen within a course, you know, you may, you know, if you're doing custom training services, yes, it's often, it often makes sense to get the implementation details and use that to customize training. We do that. Like right, we do that. that all confirmed before you start actually developing your, your assets. Yeah, like, and that that makes sense because we have a process at Outreach where we we have a methodology. We start the implementation at a certain point. We introduce a trainer. The trainer starts to design. They engage. They figure out what to do, and then they take it all the way through. They're a consultant, right? Yeah. Um, and that's where you map to the use cases. You map what's relevant to them. It's really cool. Now, also you can you can also su- create supplements. We already, we just talked about this job aids, um, other things, mm-hmm. things that are kind of outside that core thing. You know, it doesn't take a whole lot to make, to whip up a job aid when asked. Sometimes well, and, it's, and even if you're making like templates that has all the details and, or all the common permutations, yeah. asking a and CSM just, or an implementation manager to do that versus create custom training every time is, is a much more reasonable and scalable ask. 
Yeah, and your education team, your your IDs might actually be able to draft that template and say, oh, here are all the things, just tweak it and rock and roll, right? Yeah, and, and again, puts puts your CSMs or your implementation managers or whoever humans are yeah. in the position where they can they can be more strategic about it and where they can really focus on, okay, I'm going to help you um, you know, kind of beyond the basics, I'm going to, I'm going to tell you what e-learnings to go to, what order to Mm -hmm. do them in. We're going to use those as pre-work. And then when we get together, I'll be able to answer your more specific questions. Uh, I'll have these, these tools for you. I'll have these additional details. We can really talk through the implications and make decisions together. And again, it's, it's a decent to, to good solution, especially if you're not investing in a learning services team, it can actually be quite effective to do that with your customer versus, doing the Akbar thing that, that Dave was talking about <laughs> earlier and um, just jumping into saying we need to have this like super bespoke, super red carpet experience that the customer might not be ready for. Right. Right. I think you're also talking about enablement teams, right? The, the enablement teams I work with, I, I tend to think of like enablement is our, that we're brothers or sisters, we're partners in education. And, and they're usually often have the tools and templates and stuff that they could do some of this as well. They can contextualize that core learning as well. Yeah, you might you might have an enablement team that's focused on actually, you know, equipping your your CSMs or your AEs or mm-hmm. your implementation managers, whoever they are with, with tools and templates. So they might have some of these, these things already um, to help make those roles lives easier. And if they don't, you can also create that um, and work with your enablement teams to work that into the enablement plan so that when a new CSM starts and they learn what onboarding is, they don't have to make up onboarding training for the customer from scratch, yeah. or they don't have to like go search through a bunch of decks and find out what their, their more experienced colleague used. You can actually say, here's the approach we use. Here's what you're responsible for customizing. Here's the recommendations we want you to make based on these customizations. And that's, that's a whole lot easier to scale than trying to do that for every single customer. Again, if you're not, taking like a custom services approach. Absolutely. All right. Well, I think we've answered Char- answers Charlie's question in at great length. Charlie, I hope this was helpful. <laughs> I think it was fun. I learned something out of it. It was really, really a good understanding of you know, where we're at. I, I agree. And uh, it's a very common question that doesn't have, as, as you've learned, a, a super easy answer, but you can at least figure out which which of those models you're closest to and, and how to, how to architect your, your strategy based on that. Okay. Well, I think that brings us to the point where Adam, we should uh, start to wrap up. And uh, like always, we love to say, if you want to learn more, we have an excellent podcast website at customer.education. Super easy to find. Still can't believe we've got that amazing domain. And there you can find complete transcripts, uh, notes, all our podcasts, and other bonus blogs and and other material that you'll find very useful. Um, On social, on Twitter, I'm at Dave Darrington. And I am at A-V-R-A-M-E-S-C-U. Special thanks to Alan Coda for our theme music. And if this helped you out, hey, you know what? I'm not going to read off the thing. We would always appreciate more (laughs) positive reviews on Apple Podcasts. Seriously, when you think about the algorithms and you think about what helps us, like if this has helped you, um, that's the thing. That's the thing that's going to help expose this to to more folks and help it be more discoverable. So please leave us a positive review um, there. Or uh, if if you're a LinkedIn person or a social media person, 
post about us on on social media and help help your network find us. Really, like anything like that will will help our little operation continue to find new audiences. And I would I would sincerely appreciate it if you listen to the show and you get value from it. Yeah, we both would. And as we always say to our audience, thanks for joining us. We really appreciate you spend this time with us every couple of weeks, month, whenever we when we decide to podcast. Um, and we, we implore you to go out, educate, experiment, and find your people. Thanks for listening. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, everybody.